I'm Julie. And this is a special episode of uh, A Good Story, or we're just dropping this in our feed because Julie has written another book, and uh, we definitely want to talk about that. So uh, this is her third. Her first book I have right here in front of me is called Happy Catholic. (laughs) Second one, uh, Seeking Jesus in Everyday Life, Prayers and Reflections for Getting Closer. And then um, the book that uh, just came out. Um, Thus saith the Lord, a fresh take on the prophets by our own Julie Davis. Yay. Yay. (laughs) And what a terrific book this is. Oh, Um, I'm glad. Yeah. How about, let's start out with, uh, well, what is this book? Uh, This is, gosh, it's what? 18, 20 prophets. I really should count them. (laughs) Several. (laughs) Several prophets. It's a bunch of prophets. It's not every single one, but... It's taking a quick overview of why they matter to us today. And Mm. so I give you the bits you should read. I give you a very quick overview so you have a sense of the book, which hopefully will draw you into reading it. And then for each one, I have three different ways for us to think about how is this prophet really present in our lives? Because God's speaking to us all the time, and he used these prophets for those people back then, but his word is timeless. Mm. And a lot of their message is timeless. And um, so it's still kind of like the saints. They still apply today. Absolutely. Um, Your your dedication says to your uh, Catholic women's book group, um, because they started you thinking about the prophets in the first place. What, how did that right. come about? We were going to read a book by Abraham Heschel about the prophets, and we said, well, let's read one of the prophets first. So we read Jonah, which was very valuable in that it was short, snappy, and when we talked about it, I was really surprised at all the different angles that it struck different people. That very short book had a lot to say to everybody, and that made me start thinking about the people that I know who have said, I wish I knew how to read the Bible, which I don't understand. You you get the Bible, you get a commentary, you start reading, but they didn't feel that way. Hmm. And so I wrote the book on Jonah as an idea that, well, I'll start writing about the Bible, and then um, the publisher said, you know what we really need is something on the prophets. And I said, can do. <laughs> can do. I am prepared. Mm-hmm. Yeah, ever since I've known you, you've, you've talked a bit about the Old Testament. You have a special love for the Old Testament, I think. Yeah, I don't know why. It's just, um, well, for one thing, there's so many thumping good stories in there. And I'm all about that. And <laughs> then also the fact that Jesus refers back to the Old Testament so much. The whole New Testament is is the culmination of the Old Testament. And when you look at how much the New Testament mentions all these prophets, all these incidents from the past, you realize it's all one big story that leads to Jesus. And so when you understand what's going on in the Old Testament, it just makes Jesus' story richer and more meaningful. Yeah. And you point that out in every chapter. Um, you, You connect to Jesus all the time. I can't help it. Yeah, which which I guess is how it should be. <laughs> I guess right? is how it should be. Right, right. Yeah. And, I, and I love um, 
I mean, it's witty. It's uh, at times fun. At times, it's like a, a hammer that hits you. Um, oh. But you're always you're always taking um, this prophet that was thousands of years ago and uh, putting it in our time, or or pulling out what's relevant to us today and to you today. You share a lot of personal stories as well. Well, yeah, I guess that's why I like the Old Testament. It makes me think about me. And who I can be versus who I am. Yeah, right. You know, God's yeah. God's Julie, not my Julie, <laughs> so to speak. And and that was the thing that got me about it is when I was working on this, these prophets became really real to me, and so I'm hoping that comes through too. They were real people. Yeah, and that's something that does come through uh, in this book. When I read it, um, there's this personal aspect of it that. Sometimes in the Old Testament, it's a little harder to get to. Um, but I remember once we read a, a book about Jesus on the podcast, and that brought out uh, Jesus as a person more to me than it had ever happened before that. Mm-hmm. And this book does similar things to the to the prophets. So in, in Jonah, for example, we talked briefly about Jonah. If I just read the first paragraph, um, you say, I've got to hand it to Jonah. He doesn't mess around. God gives him a prophecy to deliver, and in the second sentence, Jonah's on the run, fleeing. Look at how the next verse almost trips over itself to get all the information out. No question about it. Jonah's getting away from God as far and fast as he can. I mean, that's so personal. I I really love that. I can see Jonah, I can feel Jonah, and I can be Jonah. (laughs) Because, yeah. Yeah, and mm-hmm. a lot of the time I think we're also kind of used to hearing about these prophets. Mm-hmm. You know, Isaiah, we hear his stuff a lot during uh, different times, uh, different big liturgical times of year. Right. Because he prophesied the Messiah very strongly. And in fact, Jesus starts off his ministry by quoting Isaiah to everybody. And so we're it kind of just flows over us and we don't think about it. Or Jonah Oh yeah, swallowed by a whale, went and prophesied to the people, but you don't really think about what it meant to be that person and why would he run and who were the people that God was sending him to. Hmm. And those are the things that make you suddenly able to apply it to your own life. Yeah, and and another thing in the same chapter, you mentioned the sailors and how uh, their first reaction was not to toss him overboard, but to try to row, even though they knew he was responsible, right? It's yeah, like, hear why this storm is happening, <laughs> you know, and and just to think about that, you know, you can read that, but then to think about those as people, and mm-hmm. think about their motivations. Um, it's and great. then they went and worshipped God. Right, right. And you don't know what kind of understanding they had, but they had a new understanding of who God was. Right. Yeah. You know? That's that's awesome. Yeah. That's that's great. And then. Um, if we stick with Jonah just a minute, you know, you, you talk about, (laughs) you talk about (laughs) running from God, you know, and you say, I'm like Jonah in more ways than one. I can be pretty quick off the mark in the wrong direction when God calls with something I don't want to do. Yeah. Well, and Jonah, the interesting thing to me about Jonah is once I understood the reason he was running and he says right out there when he's talking to God and he's like, this, see these repentant people, this is why I didn't want to do it. I knew you were merciful. I knew you wouldn't destroy them like you said you would. I knew you were going to let them off the hook, and I hate them. <laughs> and it's like, it's because he knows who God is so well yeah. that he doesn't want to do it. He doesn't want what God wants. 
And I have to say, I don't, to give myself hopefully the right credit, I don't think I've ever felt that way. Mm-hmm. But man, I've had to struggle with myself over stuff like that. Uh, extend mercy to this person I don't like. You know, I haven't run away from it, but it's taken me a long time sometimes to get there. Right. Yeah. And running away, you know, at Lent as well, when, you know, sometimes uh, uh, you're like, really? That's what you want for Lent? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, and it's got a lot of um, application right now, doesn't it? Because as we record this, we're uh, we're in a home shelter situation (laughs) in Dallas because of the coronavirus. Mm -hmm. And I was shocked the other day when someone said, oh, yeah, all these restaurants are staying open because they're not finding anyone. And I went, what? What are they doing? Well, they're doing what Jonah did. Hmm. I don't want to. Yeah, it's probably the right thing to do, but I'm I'm keeping my restaurant open. And there's people going, you know, and I'm like, but, but what about us? You know? Yeah, it's a tough time we're in. And, um, you know, some of these prophets have had to deal with similar things, haven't they? Yeah, and really every prophet deals with something difficult in their time. That's why God calls the prophets out. If you're not having, um, if the people aren't in big trouble, whether from external or internal reasons, there's no reason for a prophet. Everybody's Mm -hmm. living the way they should. No one's bothering them. They don't need saving. Mm -hmm. Um, And then every time the prophets come up, it's because they've been begging for help, the people have, or something bad's coming and God's trying to tell them. I mean, before the Babylonian exile, I was really surprised when I went back and started looking at all these prophets and went, oh my gosh, at one point, he's got like five different prophets in different spots all going, you got to change your ways. You got to look at this. You got to not go along with these people, this country, just sit back and let these things happen. And everyone is ignoring it. Yeah. Looking at the prophets as a whole, um, are there any other sort of commonalities between these people other than what you just said? Well, of course, they all are obedient, some sooner, some later. Mm -hmm. I don't, that's a good question because one of the things that I love about them is they're all very different kinds of people. You know, mm-hmm. so the commonality, yeah. I guess, is that they know God and they eventually obey. I mean, Jonah's one of the, he's the poster child for not obeying. Most of them go ahead and just do it. Yeah. They might complain on the way, <laughs> you know, yeah. Elijah going, okay, that's a wait. The, I, I did this huge demonstration. I had fire come down. It showed that the, Baal was a, a false god, and wait, the queen is still going to try and kill me? <laughs> That's it. Take me now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I get no credit. Nothing's happened. Nothing's changed. Why even try? Yeah. And so, there is rebellion. There is, but it's that real human element, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, they all know who God is, I guess, is the other thing how they respond is different because they're all really different. You think of um, even from the same family, Moses, Miriam, and Aaron are all prophets. Hmm. And I don't talk about Aaron, the priest, the first priest of the Levites, but of course, Moses and Miriam, their brother and sister, they're real different. 
Yes, it's just, mm-hmm. yeah, and it's you know kind of cool that one family is so holy or obedient or whatever. It turns out these great prophets for a great time of need, but they're really different and they're mm-hmm. doing really different things. Is there a great example of a, a person who was not holy that was called to be a prophet? Oh well, yeah. There's Balaam, mm-hmm. and uh, he's of course fun because he's the one that we all know because he had the talking donkey, <laughs> and uh, he's mm. he's going along to a place he shouldn't, and an angel appears, and the donkey can see it, and Balaam can't. And so Balaam is yelling at his donkey and his donkey yells back, going, have I ever done this before? Did you ever think of asking why? Come on. And so, but it's one of those things where I never really knew more about Balaam than that. And what it it is, is that Balaam is really famous. I mean, and he was a real person. There are other things that archaeologists have found telling other stories about him. Mm, And he... The Israelites are coming into the promised land, and the kings are starting to worry. And one king says, Balaam, Balaam, go curse them, because your curses matter, and God won't let him. God, God's words come out through Balaam's mouth the four times the king tries to make him do it. And the blessings get greater and greater and greater. And so you would think this would be something between that and the talking ass and the angel that does it eventually appear to him where Balaam would go, oh, well, I get it. No, what he does is kind of do <laughs> a little suggestion to the king that, you know, if you send all these prostitutes into the Israelite camp, these guys are going to defile themselves like crazy. <laughs> they won't be able to fight. They won't be holy enough. And it actually works. Balaam's later killed and blamed, for, you know identified as the instigator and killed when everything's going down. But he his name becomes so famous for that, which we don't remember that bit at all, mm. that even Jesus mentions him. And he's mentioned in Hebrews, I think, as a bad prophet. Hmm. I mean, he's notorious for here's how you don't be a prophet of God. Love it. Mm-hmm. That is cool. <laughs> I felt like that needed to be talked about. God can use you whether you want it or not. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, yeah. It's what do you get out of it too? Yeah. So um, what was your process in writing this book? I would, I don't know, research each one and then kind of have to stop and think about my own life. So it was a process <laughs> of self-examination along the way. and. Mm. When I am writing anything, it kind of turns into that. It's almost a spiritual journey for me, too. And mm. I don't want to make it sound all super high and holy, but you can't help it. You're thinking about, how do I show people this prophet matters? Well, you have to carry yourself first. Yeah, you have to see how it matters to you. Yeah, right? exactly. Mm-hmm. So, I was it was my own Bible study, so to speak, of a lot of these people. Mm. And various commentaries and you know things from all over that I would kind of see and go, oh, I never thought about that. Nice. So. Nice. Mm-hmm. Well, out of all these prophets, um, you know, the inevitable question, is there a favorite? <laughs> well. And is there a least favorite? Don't we all have a favorite <laughs> yeah. prophet? Come on, Scott. I know you have to figure out which is my top out of my top ten. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Okay. I don't know if this is good or bad when I say that I already had a favorite prophet before mm-hmm. I ever thought of writing this book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and of course, it was Habakkuk. Of course. How could it not be? <laughs> 
who no one's ever heard of. <laughs> yeah, the famous Habakkuk. Yeah, the famous Habakkuk. Well, it's it's nice because he's three short chapters. And um, Habakkuk I like because he reminds me it's okay to question God, which I already know. God's very familiar with my kind of pointed questions. But what we really have to do is then be patient and wait and listen and be ready to consider what God says. And that's the beginning of the second chapter, which is something like, I will wait on the watchtower and see what God says to me. Wow. And yeah. that's what first caught my eye when I was like, yeah, I have to kind of just lay it out there and let God work in my life to show me through whatever method hmm. he's going to communicate with me how things are working. Because what God does is he comes back and says, okay, get ready to write this down. The answer is coming. It will come in its own time when it's ready, but you will understand what's going on. And then when I went back and was rereading Habakkuk for this, I realized I'd only given myself half the story. And Habakkuk has started off, he's probably the perfect prophet for our times anyway, even without the coronavirus. I was just going to say that, yeah. Yeah, Go ahead. No, I was just going to say that exact exact thing. Uh, what a prophet for our time right now, and and even it's it's almost as if you know one of the goods that could come out of this is is the ability to wait or to know what that means because um, mm-hmm. everybody is in such a hurry. There's no waiting in the society right. we have. Well, and then when you oh. think about what his situation is, because he's also the prophet for when you're really upset because everything's messed up. I mean, everything in his time was really evil. There was a lot of internal corruption. The poor were being ignored. Everybody was arguing with each other. No one, you know, politically, things were all out of whack. So, again, here we are in our time, right? Right. And he says to God, why are you not saving your people? And God does answer him at that point. And God says, Oh, don't worry. I have got an awesome plan. (laughs) Have you heard of these guys called the Babylonians? They are up and coming. And wow, let me tell you about the kind of epic warriors they are. And he describes it. And then he goes, they're going to come in and just run this place over. (laughs) There will be a remnant. But I think he might say that later. But And Habakkuk's like, wait, what? (laughs) That's your plan? And God's like, yeah, it's going to work like a charm. And Habakkuk's like, oh, no, 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 no. You're all good. How can you use evil to do your work? And that's the question that's sitting before God when Habakkuk says, I'm not getting an answer. I'm going to sit and wait. Hmm. And, of course, this also is giving him time for self-reflection. We're not being told that, and that's kind of where I'm applying it to my own life, is you're also turning these questions over. You're looking for answers. You're thinking about different situations. And... Which is part of how God talks to you, of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when God comes back, he says, well, look, there's going to be a remnant. I'm not getting rid of everyone. But this is just how it has to be. They also will reap what they sow. The Babylonians are not getting off the hook. But it's hmm. not like you guys did nothing to set yourselves up for this. And so at the end, Habakkuk, you know, and he's got a full-blown, I mean, modern symptoms of an anxiety attack and all this. But by the end, what he realizes is, even if all this happens, even if I have nothing, nothing to eat, no horses, nothing in my stable, I still have God. 
and God is the ultimate thing I need. Mm-hmm. And he ends praising God. Yeah, and you even quote Peter in some of what you said, you know, Lord, to whom shall we go? Mm-hmm. You have the words of eternal life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is something that has to be faced over and over and over again. You know, Peter doesn't understand when Jesus says, you have to eat my body and drink my blood. And everyone, you know, 500 disciples leave yeah. and the 12 stay and Jesus mm-hmm. won't let them just stay. He's like, what do you think? Yeah. Who do you think I that I am? Right. Yeah. I don't. Well, he just says, what do you think about all this? And they, they're like, well, we don't know. Or he says, do you want to leave too? It's mm-hmm. that pointed. And right. they go, where would we go? You speak the words of truth or life. You know, it's like Mm -hmm. Habakkuk. It's just applied to God directly right here because Jesus is asking that question. Mm -hmm. What are you going to do about it? Well, if he's the truth, you just kind of have to put up with it and go, well, you know what? I can't see the big picture. I don't know what's going on. Here's my foundation. This is where I stand. And Habakkuk does all that in three chapters. <laughs> wow. Yep, that's terrific. He's, he's my man for that reason, because, how you know, especially these days, but how many of us just in regular life aren't going, I don't get it. I'm unhappy. Why don't I have an answer? Well, mm. God doesn't work that way. Right, right. He works in his own time. He's God. And, they, uh, and all this, you know, feeds into that free will, right? Um, mm-hmm. I mean, that's a whole testimony about free will as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, was there a prophet that you particularly thought was difficult? Somebody that was hard for you to get into? Well, I think there were prophets that were harder for me to maybe see exactly how they applied to my life, but they I could see how they could apply to other people. Mm -hmm. The one I think that's probably the hardest for everyone is Hosea, Hmm. because we look at God's actions in that book and just go in modern times this doesn't fly. And he's the one who God tells to go marry a prostitute Mm. named Gomer, who, you know, we had Gomer Pyle. So it's easy to make fun of poor Gomer. And you don't know if she's a prostitute when they get married, if she's a prostitute later. But what you do know is two of their children, he's not the father of. Mm. I mean, that's hard. Yeah. And he's sensitive. He's emotional. You know, he's not weeping like Jeremiah, but he's feeling it. And she leaves him for somebody else, and God says, go get her back. (laughs) Which in those days, no, no, no. Mm. So that whole thing is his life being used to be the example, and this is what the book goes into later, of how God, I hate to say how God feels because God doesn't feel the way we do, but this is how we understand it. This is the betrayal we are making to God when we turn from him. We are like uh, Gomer, like Hosea's wife, when we break that covenant. And so that's how everybody back then would have understood it (laughs) in a different way. And that's where the context is hard because these days – you look at how marriage is treated and um, women's rights and all the, you know, of course, you know, she could do what she wants with her body. And, you know, how dare God tell this poor man to marry this woman who's going to betray him? And you're really missing the point mm. at that point. Yeah. And, and I'm thinking of the aspect of, you know, Hosea. I mean, that's being asked things that are really, really difficult. <laughs> you know, talk about wanting to run away. Well, yeah, and Hosea, it's kind of like 
what happens when God tells you to do something and there is nothing in it for you? Yeah. I mean, ostensibly he loves his wife, but look at the pain he's being put through and maybe it's never really returned. We don't know. Yeah. It's certainly a different, uh, uh, ask than, Hey, I want you to go be King over your people and yeah. do these awesome things <laughs> for David. You know, Cause right. I'm guessing that grapes come in there at some point, <laughs> there's going to be some downtime, right. but, uh, but for Hosea, there's no, none of that. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, Deborah, there is an amazing sounding, uh, party at the end of their thing. There's no party for Hosea. Right. You know, but there's tender love promised. Yeah. If yeah. you come back and are the spouse that you're supposed to be, it can be so rich and fulfilling, even though you can't see it and the quick fix of the other man or whatever sounds so fun. Mm. Working through the other stuff is worth it. Mm-hmm. You know, and and that's what you get from Hosea by the end. It's just how countercultural is that, especially right now? Mm-hmm. And I know I was really surprised when I met a young woman who said, oh, no, Hosea is my favorite prophet. And she'd been an atheist. And she knew once she knew God, she was so horrified by all the stuff she'd done. And she read Hosea and went, oh, this is me. Hmm. You know, yeah, I love beautiful. that he's so faithful no matter what I've done. That's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Was there a prophet you discovered in this that you hadn't thought about before? Well, um, people that I've different? thought about differently, like Samuel. Uh-huh. Um, Samuel is someone that, that I'd like to come back to. Um, but I really like what you wrote about Samuel. Um, mm, good. You know, there's this little quote that, that's out there. You know, we love to force things to happen when we want them instead of waiting for God's timing, which feeds right into what we were just saying. You know, it seems to be a repeated message, right? Yeah. It's almost like, you know, hey, we are not in control, um, which Mm -hmm. is a uh, message that a lot of us need often. Yeah, and that's interesting because I was just thinking about Saul, who is the first king of the Israelites. Yeah. And the fact that one of the things Saul does when he's when God's finally like, okay, you are the wrong person, mm-hmm. you're not living up to what you should, is he does a um, sacrifice when he shouldn't. He doesn't wait for Samuel to show up. Yeah. It's like, he really should have been here an hour ago. <laughs> I got to get and, this show on the road. Right, right. <laughs> you know, so it's the same thing. I'll do it myself. And Saul, Samuel's like, oh, man. Yeah. And then I loved uh, Jonah, of course. You know, we've talked mm. about Jonah on the podcast, but um, yeah. I just love what you wrote about Jonah as well. Um, well thank something you. that kind of pops out there. <laughs> mm-hmm. So just, just terrific. So um, who, who are some of your favorite Catholic writers nowadays? Last few things that you've read that you've really connected with. You know, of course, there are a lot of go-to authors I have anyway. Mike Aquilina and um, Brant Petrie. Mm. That's how you say his name. I'm never sure. (laughs) Um, Curtis Mitch, you know, Mm -hmm. these kind of guys. But lately, what I read is Arriving at Amen by Leah Labresco. Mm. And she wrote this after she converted from atheism to Catholicism, and it focuses on seven seven different Catholic prayers. And she says, you know, um, even I can pray this stuff. Hmm. 
And what it does is really kind of chart her conversion, not into Catholicism, though that is talked about. It converts, it talks about her conversion into how she lives her faith. Mm. So as she's praying the Our Father, as she's sampling the rosary, as she's doing the daily examine, all these things where, and she goes off on these tangents, you would really love this book, where she'll talk about math and science. Oh, cool. And mm-hmm. classic author. She does a lot of uh, translating, or translating isn't the right word, a lot of using different Shakespearean lines from plays where she'll substitute for one word, she'll substitute God or pray mm-hmm. or whatever and go, this line says just what I was thinking. Hmm. And cool. it's it's mm-hmm. really a great book. It just pulled me right through it. I read it really fast. It came out in 2015, and um, I picked it up right before Lent. I don't know why it took me so long to discover it, so to speak. Yeah. But I really liked that. And then um, there's another book that I'd been waiting since last year. I heard about it after Lent, and it's a book of Lenten devotionals called Remember Your Death mm. by Teresa... Mm. Alethea Noble, (laughs) and she's a nun, a young nun, who would keep a skull on her desk. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And as she would have little thoughts about death, she would tweet them. (laughs) And then she wound up writing this devotional, which is not tweets. It's really Uh well thought out, daily devotional thoughts, a lot of times king from the scripture for the day throughout Lent, and just kind of saying, when we look at our death, this is when we're really centered because this is where we're all headed and we forget it, uh-huh. which is, of course, the memento mori thing, remember right. your death. Yes. Uh-huh. And so, she'll do that. It'll be a page, page and a half, something like that, reflection. And then she'll have um, a really good focus on, think about these people. Mm-hmm. Do you know people like this? Hmm. Say a Hail Mary for them. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. And then a really wonderful, this is one of my favorite parts, a quote from a church father or a current person that really pulls everything together. And then she'll have um, a couple of like prayer journal ideas. I don't, I don't journal and I don't care about that. But mm-hmm. it, from what I've read, they look amazing for people who do that. So it's really a good book. Oh, very good. Yeah. I haven't read either of those, so <laughs> sign yeah. me up. That's great. That's great. Yeah, and of course, you know, there's Dante. Ah, yes. <laughs> which, right now, I'm listening to Anthony Esselin's uh, study. He's got an audio book study that's, I think they're just a few hours each on separate ones, on the Inferno, Purgatorio, and Paradiso, oh, which cool. I highly recommend. They're basically classes. 20, 30-minute classes on these books. Oh, wow. That's that's great. Yeah. And I think it's maybe yeah. eight hours for each one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, they're really good. Nice. Love it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, where does one get a copy of this book, Julie? Well, unfortunately, the physical copy is not available because Amazon stopped taking uh, shipments to their warehouse about a week before it came out. (laughs) They're like, we can't fit everything in right now. Uh We're stocking up on toilet paper and water, evidently. Mm -hmm. And um, but the ebook was released early because of that, so you can get it on Amazon. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Very good. Very good. I hope people read this book not only for how it will help get through hard times like this, 
but to really guide them into the prophets. Don't just read this book and don't read the prophets. Um, they are amazing in a lot of ways. Nobody wants to read 66 chapters of Isaiah and the, you know, apocalyptic parts of say Daniel can mm. be tough, Yeah, but there's parts in there that really will speak to you and really will help you kind of personally relate to what God is saying through each of these people. He's got messages, like I said, for each of the people, the sets of people that were in those times, but those things, because they were prophecies and prophet by the way in hebrew means god's mouth mm-hmm. so it's not that he's saying here's i'm foretelling the future he's just speaking through the prophets but his word since it is eternal also speaks to us and um, this is really a chance to kind of explore who some of those prophets are you may never come back to some of them but you should at least try a little bit of each of them just mm-hmm. to see you can't tell when your habakkuk is going to pop out and really <laughs> grab you Right, right. Love it. Yes. And I attest to that too. Um, Very rewarding book. Oh, thank you. I'm glad. Thanks, Julie, for this. Um, And thanks again for the book. Um, I I think that the gift you've given us, um, the the thing that pops out most to me is this, this personal, you know, ability to see these prophets in a different light, in a more personal light. You know, I, I come away from this, you know, seeing these as people, you know, that are walking around, breathing in and out, um, mm. and uh, uh, not that long ago, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it is, suddenly it's much closer than it was, and uh, that's a oh, great good. gift. Great gift. Thank you. You're very welcome. Thank you. I'm glad. Yeah. So, all right. Well, after this, we're back to our regular schedule. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and and yes. write another book, would you? Oh, working on it. Excellent. Excellent. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thank all right. you. Well, thanks, everybody. Yeah, See bye. you soon. Bye-bye.